This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. I'm crazy grateful for all of you who subscribe, share, and leave reviews. If this is your first time, welcome to the Elevate community. Like our home church, Living Word, I and the Elevate leaders work as hard as we can to build an atmosphere of love to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. It would mean the world to us if you helped us get the word out by sharing this episode on social media. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate, visit us at iloveelevate.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to the podcast. Thank you for everything you do, which brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. What is up, Elevate? Whoa. All right, all right, all right. So we're here for one purpose. We are alive for one purpose. Everything that we do is for one purpose. Do we have any God's people in the house? Anybody? Yeah? Thank you, one person. Man, are there any God's people in this house? Hello? All right, we're here for one purpose. Are you ready? Elevate! Jesus! Elevate! Jesus! That's right. That's what our life is about. Lord, that's all for you. In 1836, the Alamo was surrounded by the daunting army of Santa Anna. And Santa Anna had sent a messenger to the commander of the Alamo with a very simple message. Surrender, and if you don't, we will give you no quarter, as in, all survivors will be executed. And so Colonel William Travis, who had been stationed there, this was his post took out his battle sword, and he drug it across the ground, drawing a line in the sand in front of his men, told them clearly that he would be staying and fighting to the death, and challenged them, if anyone would stay with me, step over the line. And if not, you are free to go. And one by one, every man of the Alamo stepped over that line, including people like Jim Bowie, the famous Davy Crockett, except for one. His name was Moses Rose or Moses Ross. They're not entirely sure. But we do know that in the middle of the night that night, he snuck out and got past the army and was the only survivor of the Alamo. Moses was faithful to God and brought the Israelites out of Egypt to Mount Sinai, where God used Moses to give them the law. Then Faithful, again in the wilderness after the people sinned to wander for 40 years, he brings them to the edge of the Jordan River. And Moses now lays this massive responsibility of supervising, leading, caring for 2.8 million people onto the young man, Joshua. And Joshua had this daunting task to lead them over the river, and to take God's promises. Promises that had been promised millennia before with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now millennia, four centuries before, 400 years. And Joshua did it. He was faithful to God. He made a few mistakes that would come back to bite him later. But again, after again, after again, Joshua was faithful until the day he died. And before he died, he gathered the people And he asked them a question. It was a line in the sand, just like Colonel William Travis. Are you going to keep the covenant of God? Are you going to remember the miracles that he did for your parents? Are you going to pass this covenant down to your children? And Joshua gave them the same kind of ultimatum. 
He drew a line in the sand and said, will you today make a decision between Yahweh, your God, and all the gods of the people around us? Let's read that together. That's Joshua 24, 14 through 15. And he's speaking. He says, now, therefore, fear Yahweh and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt. Serve Yahweh. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve Yahweh, choose this day who you will serve. Here's the line in the sand. Whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now dwell. But as for me and my house, I will serve. We will serve the Lord. We will serve Yahweh. Here is the line in the sand. I believe that the Lord is drawing a line in the sand for every one of us tonight. And he is going to kick us in the butt and challenge us. Will we stay on that side or will we die to ourselves and cross the line to be faithful and serve him? Romans 12 discusses the life of a believer And I want to focus on this for just a couple minutes. Romans 12, verses 1 through 2. These are verses you've probably heard before. I appeal to you. This is Paul speaking. I beg you, pay attention. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters. He calls them brothers and sisters. That familial term. People that I care about, my beloved, my loved ones. I appeal to you, I'm begging you, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. How? Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship? What is your spiritual worship? To give God our bodies, which are holy and acceptable unto him. Do not be conformed to this world. Formed as in molded, bent, twisted, warped. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, total transformation, by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. What is our spiritual worship? Is it singing songs? Is that it? Did we just end worship for the week now that we close our third song? What is our spiritual worship? Who are we sacrificing to? If we're going to make our, lot, our, our bodies living sacrifices, who is this sacrifice to? Who is the one who is changing us? Is it through conforming or is it through transforming? Whose will are we pursuing? Just like Joshua, I want to ask you a similar question. Who is your God? Whom do you serve? Is your God one of one or several of the gods of our culture? Is it money? Is it sports? Is it comforts? Is it influence? Is it entertainment? Is it science? Is it popularity? These are the gods of the culture around us. Are one of those the God that you're giving your time, talents, energy, treasures to? This verse also raises another question. Who have you decided to give your body to as a living sacrifice? 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? For you, listen, you are not your own. 
for you were bought with a price, a high price. So glorify God in your body. Is God the God of your body? Is he its master? Have you given back to the creator full authority of who you are? Full authority of your desires? This verse about our body being the temple of the Holy Spirit and giving God our body is actually in the context of sexual purity. For if you back up one verse, 1 Corinthians 6, 18, flee from sexual immorality, run from it, get out of dodge. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against their own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? So glorify God in your body. How do we glorify God with our sexuality? Does a woman have the final say over her body? Does a man have the final say over his body? Who has the right, the final rights to govern the use of the human body? You see, our sexuality does not have diplomatic our sexuality does not have diplomatic immunity from God's authority. Absolutely not. It is our creator who made our bodies, and it can only be our creator who determines our sexual ethics. That's it. Are you following what I'm saying? That we don't have the authority. God created us. It was our creator who gave us instruction. It was our creator that designed us in certain ways to flourish, to do well. You can say, it's my life, it's my body, I can do whatever I want. And if that is your ethic, that's fine. But you're not a Christian. You are not submitted to the authority of your God. If you have surrendered to God, the body he created to be a temple for his glory, then you have surrendered, pay attention, you have surrendered the illusion of having rights and you've submitted every part of your life, including your sexuality, to God's control. 1 Corinthians 6.13, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, it is for the Lord. So we are dedicated to God. We are dedicated to his word. I read an online forum, and it was an argument between two different Christians. I'll use quotes just to play it safe here. And they were arguing back and forth between progressive churches, also known as affirming churches, emergent churches, versus orthodox Bible-believing churches. And these two ladies are arguing back and forth. And one of the lady from the Bible-believing orthodox Christian church, she gave a testimony. She said that she grew up a lesbian and that she gave her life to Jesus and Jesus radically transformed her. And she said, because Jesus is now my God, I have now lived celibate for four years. I have given up my sexual desires because I've made him my God. I still have temptations. I still have struggles, but I've chosen God over my desires. You know how the other girl responded? She said this. She said, well, 
If you don't want to have to be celibate for five years, you can join a progressive church that'll tell you that's acceptable. Do you see what's happening there? Not search for a church that stands by scripture, but search for a church that allows you to have sex with other women. Who is the God that they're serving? And I'm telling you, Elevate, only one of those women on the day of judgment will stand good, acceptable, and holy before God. We have a whole swirling of voices that are overtaking everything. They're overtaking schools. They're overtaking government. They're overtaking our churches. I'm, I'm not kidding you. Look it up. Churches are bending and breaking left and right, and we have to stand somewhere. We have to make a declaration of who is our God. Is our God Jesus Christ, or is our God our sexual desires? There has to be a line in the sand, because if we choose God, then everything falls into place. And if we choose our sexual desires, then everything that that stands for begins to unravel. We have to draw a line in the sand of who we are going to be. Whether you consider yourself heterosexual, bisexual, lesbian, gay, queer, trans, whether you classify yourself as male or female or non-binary, whether you're having sex with your girlfriend or your boyfriend or having sex with a near relative or an animal or friends with benefits or pornography, whether the sex you're engaged in is intercourse or oral sex or anal sex or fingering or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If it is contrary to the God who designed the body and contrary to that creator's instruction, it is sexual sin. And it is a worship of sexual desires and not a submission to the authority of God. We have to draw a line in the sand. You can have one or the other, but there's no fence. The devil owns the fence. First Thessalonians 4, 3-5, This is the will of God. What is the will of God? Your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control their own body in holiness, in honor. Not, does this sound familiar? Like the passion of lust, like the Gentiles. Those are unbelievers who do not know God. We are living in a society saturated in the lust that is swirling around us. Every billboard, every commercial. It's like, here, buy a hamburger. No, here's a girl in a bikini. Buy a hamburger. And you're like, I'm hungry for some reason. Everything around us is saturated with sex. Everything around us is pouring this out in our faces. And we have to know where we stand. The word control there is the word self-control. And it simply means the virtue of mastering one's desires and passions. One of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control, and it applies to our sexuality. We are not animals. We should not be slaves to our desires. Who will you serve with your body? Choose. I'm drawing a line in the sand. I'm telling you, if you choose God, you are choosing a life of self-control and self-denial. But I have good news. You are choosing a life of, throwing up the quotes, I hope this sticks in your mind forever, you are choosing a life of self-denial, but you are also choosing a life of good sex. And that's where this message gets a lot more fun. You get to squirm a little more, but I get to have fun.
There are four aspects to good sex. Number one, good sex is clear. What defines good sex? I don't mean good as in high pleasure. That's for a later point. What I mean is that good means according to what God has called good. And actually, Scripture is very clear on the point. Jesus is actually very clear on the point. And you know what? Jesus didn't have to cover a whole list of bullet points of every form of sex. Just like in the Bible, we don't have anywhere that Jesus says, don't use meth. He didn't need to write out a list of drugs. However, the Bible is very clear about unsobriety. Anything that alters our state of mind, anything that weakens our self-control, anything that is hazardous to our bodies, run from those things. So we don't do methamphetamines. It's pretty straightforward. We recognize that as sin. Jesus didn't have to make a list of every possible sexual sin, but what he does do is he gives God's instruction and perfect picture for sexuality for his people. And Jesus anchors his teaching of marriage and sex in Genesis. Genesis chapter 2, 18 through 24. So let's read Matthew 19, verse 4 through 6. And Jesus answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast, cling, grapple onto his wife. Covenant word, wife, marriage. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but now one flesh. So God's command, his design, his instruction for sexuality is one man plus one woman plus one marital covenant is honored by God. And then God does something really mysteriously cool. He takes two persons, two beings, two essences, and he makes them one in his eyes. Unity, intimacy, connection. God honors them. This was his design, and in Genesis 1, 28, he calls it very good. So the first aspect of good sex is that good sex is clear. Number two, good sex is a gift. Sex was created by God. It was his idea. He gave it to us. To quote a book called Critical Questions and Absolute Answers, God created it to be good, exciting, intoxicating, powerful, and unifying. He gave, a, gave it to us, the one flesh relationship, to be the most intense physical intimacy and deepest spiritual unity possible between a husband and wife. To married couples, Scripture says this, one, it's a gift from God. Feel free to say thanks. That's Genesis 2, 24-25. God wants you to enjoy it. That's Proverbs 5, 15-21, and all of Song of Solomon. 1 Corinthians 7, 3-5 says, have sex often and don't stop. Talking to married couples. Sex, good sex, is a gift from God. Remember to tell him thanks. Number three, good sex comes with big blessings. Number one is the obvious one, procreation, making babies. Woohoo, making babies. I have five. Man, yay. Comes with noise is what it comes with. That's Genesis 1.18. Good sex comes with big blessings. It also comes with pleasure and fun. Again, Song of Solomon It comes with unity and emotional intimacy. There is a transparency and a comfort level that you have with your spouse that you won't experience in any other relationship, in any other context outside of God's design. It is a complete 
exhale of you are wholly free. You are wholly known, and despite being known completely through and through, you're loved unconditionally. And this comes from God's vision of a marital covenant. And number four, good sex comes with big blessings. It comes with fidelity. 1 Corinthians 7, 3 through 5. I want you to know something. Spouses, by the way, infidelity is also pornography. There's no way around it. Because you are introducing one or both of you are introducing multiple other partners. The human brain responds to pornography the same it would as an adulterous relationship. Except instead of one other relationship, one other party, it is now introducing multiple parties. So your brain is hardwired now to need multiple partners. Spouses who view pornography are 300 times more likely to cheat. 300 times more likely to cheat. Are you following me? Run from pornography. Cut it out of your life. Girls, if he's into it, run. I'm trying to protect you. Experts have shown, back to fidelity, experts have shown that those who marry as virgins and stay true to their spouse have the greatest rating in pleasure of sex. Isn't that wild? That's wild. And yet, like kind of a duh. That's how God designed it to work. So good sex is clear. Good sex is a gift. Good sex comes with big blessings. And good sex glorifies God. We're talking about a covenant marriage bonded by good sex. It is, number one, it is obedient to him. And it aligns with his design. 1 Samuel 15, 22 says that God desires obedience among above everything else that we could give him. Imagine you're a parent and you ask your child to do something. Your child says, no, but I'll give you some gifts. And you're like, no, all I ask you to do is just be obedient. Just do what I'm asking you. That's God with us. We're like, God, I'll give you all of my life except this little piece that I'm keeping for myself. But hey, you can have the rest. God desires obedience above everything else. That's why it glorifies him, is because it's coming out of our obedience. Secondly, that marriage covenant illustrates to the unbelieving world around us who God is, his love for the church, and how his church responds and obeys our God. This is found in Ephesians 6, 22 through 23. It's a beautiful passage. Go check it out. How can unbelievers know what Jesus' sacrificial leadership looks like? They look at a godly husband. How could unbelievers know what a church, what believers, how they obey God? They look at a godly wife. How can unbelievers know unconditional love? How can unbelievers recognize an unconditional covenant between God and man. They look at a godly marriage. They look at you, believers. The marriages you guys are going to be in someday. It is an illustration to the world giving God glory everywhere you go. At the end of that passage where Paul lays this out, he says this in Ephesians 5.33, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and to the church. 
So if we were to ask, is Paul using a Christ and church metaphor to explain marriage? Or is he using a marriage metaphor to explain Christ and the church? And the answer is yes. That's why it's so profound. Any form of sexuality outside of this picture, this God-honoring, glorifying, reflecting picture, is blaspheming God's intended illustration to the world around us of his relationship with the church and the church's relationship with Almighty God. There may be some of us in here that are struggling with this. I want to make him my God. I want to give my body only to him. I want to choose him over my desires, but I keep slipping again and again and again. And every time I try, I'm knocked back down again. And, and my boyfriend pushes me or my girlfriend tempts me into this thing. And I, I just can't. Every time I'm having a stressful day, this is where I run to. I, I'm struggling with my sexuality. I'm not sure who I am or how God made me. I'm wrestling with this. And if there's anyone in here, I want to encourage you. Can I be free from sexual sin? And scripture is so clear. It rings loudly. It cries from the rooftops. Yes, yes, you can be free. You can be free indeed through the power of Jesus and his Holy Spirit. Check this out. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Look how many times you see like in a sexually oriented sin here. The sexually immoral, immoral adulterers, nor those who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power, by the Spirit of God. What's he saying? He's saying, some of you in here were the thieves. Some of you in here were the homosexuals. Some of you in here were cheating on your spouses. Some of you in here were the gamblers. Some of you in here were the con artists. And God radically changed your life. God washed you. He sanctified you. Who made you a new creation. You were born again. Were you born this way? Yes. We were all born into sin. Which is why Jesus says we need to be born again. So that's number one. How do, I, how do I fight? How do I choose my God? Number one, be born again. Believe in Jesus as your Savior. Surrender your life and everything with it, including your sexuality, to Jesus. Let him begin to work from the inside, something that you can't do on your own. Number two, saturate, marinate, surround yourself with God's word. Psalm 119.9, how can a young person keep their way pure? By guarding it according to your word. If you're going to choose God as your God, as the God of your body, you're going to need his word. You know what his word is? This is what scripture says. His word is in Hebrews 4, it's a sword which pierces. James 1, it's a mirror that reveals. 1 Peter 1, it's a seed that grows. 1 Peter 2, it's milk that nourishes. Psalm 119, it's a lamp that guides. And Jeremiah 23, it's a fire that consumes and it's a hammer that breaks and shatters. Maybe some of us in here need a, a hammer to start breaking and shattering some stuff in our lives. 
We need, we need the word to be a sword that pierces deep. We need to be washed again. We need a light to see where we're going. Maybe some of us in here need some more of God's word. We need to be saturated and marinated in his word. We need to be born again. We need to be marinated in his word. Number three, this is so beautiful. Practice the presence of God. Practice the presence. Become a disciplined to walking with him throughout your day where it's him that your attention snaps back to. When you wake up in the morning, the first thought is, good morning, Jesus. And it's with him that you walk until you come to say good night. Good night, Lord. I'm going to sleep in your arms. Listen to what Paul tells him in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, without stopping. Continuously pray. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Paul calls it walking in step with the Spirit. Galatians 5, 16 through 18. Maybe some of us in here need this verse tonight. Maybe this is the one that we're going to write in our Bibles. We're going to put up on the board. Galatians 5, 16 through 18. Walk by the Spirit. Walk in step with the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. These oppose each other to keep you from doing the things you want. What is this teaching us? What is Paul saying? He's saying that you have a battle. You have a battle of everything in you is driving and hungering for something, and you have this Holy Spirit that is in you, and it's leading you and directing you towards holiness and sanctification, and it's at war inside your body. Which is why he later says in Romans, give your body as a living sacrifice to him. Because we're having to cast down the desires that are surging inside of us sometimes. It is a sacrifice to him. So if we're in a war, we have to draw a line and we choose our side. Will we stand on this side and say, I'm caving in and serving whatever my desires are? Or are we going to be on this side of the fighting field and we're going to turn towards that side and we're going to set our gunfire that way. Whose side are we going to serve tonight? And that is step one in fight. So you're going to give your life to the Lord wholly and completely. You're going to marinate in the word of God. You're going to practice the presence of Jesus, and you're going to fight. And it begins right here in your thoughts. 2 Corinthians 10.5, we take every thought captive to obey Christ. We have to begin to be disciplined that when our thoughts wander, when our eyes wander, whenever we get on that train of thought that's of those sexual desires, we grab those thoughts, we submit them to Jesus, and we begin to change how we think in that moment. We have to begin that discipline because this is critical. It never took your going to bed with someone to have sinned sexually against your father. Matthew 5, 27 through 28. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Pause right there. Adultery comes from the Greek word porneia, which is where we get the word pornography from. But the Greek word directly translated in English is sexual immorality. So this is not just talking about you were married and you cheated on your spouse. This is talking about there is a marriage covenant, and unless you are operating within that marriage covenant, you are sexually immoral. If you're not married yet, you're outside of marriage covenant. If you're in a marriage covenant and you cheat, you're outside the marriage covenant. This is sexual immorality. Everything except 
the instruction design of God. One man, one woman, one marriage contract. But you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman or a man with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. In her heart. There's no getting around it. Who? Who can be holy when the restrictions are this hard? Not me. Probably not you. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus was perfect. And it's his righteousness that's laid over us before God. And we fight for the holiness of what he's given us every day. So we have to begin to grab a hold of our thoughts and submit them to Jesus. Romans 12.2, we read this at the beginning. Do not be conformed to the world around you, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your up here. Romans 4.8, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So we're going to start right here. We're going to guard our minds. And the next thing we're going to do is only move down an inch. We're going to begin to guard our eyes. Job 31.1, I made a covenant with my eyes. I made a promise to myself, made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman. Run from sexual immorality. Run from everything that your eyes want to eat up. Proverbs says that there are some things that are never fulfilled. It's an empty grave, an empty womb. I forget what the third one is. And then the eyes of a young person. We can never be satisfied. Just like the grave is never satisfied, there will always be people going into it. Our eyes are also never satisfied. What a comparison with the grave when it only brings death. That's interesting. Run from pornography. Run from movies with nudity and sexual content. Run from social media pages. Run from anything that is leading your thoughts towards sex. Cut those out of your lives. You become the kind of person that previews the movie on Kids in Mind or IMDb and you find out what's in it because I'm not going to watch it if it has nudity or sex. It's not going to cross my eyes. Guard your mind. Guard your eyes. Set yourself up for success. Decide now, tonight, Already, before you go to bed tonight, decide what are your physical boundaries for yourself? What are the physical boundaries that you're going to have in a romantic relationship? Decide now. Don't wait till you're in the heat of the moment. Decide now. Set yourself up for success by avoiding settings that give you opportunity to sin. Maybe it's settings like being home alone. Maybe it's settings like laying down together. Whatever those things are, avoid settings that give you the ability, the opportunity to sin. Number three, don't do anything with that person that you wouldn't do in front of your youth leaders. Oh! Actually, let's take this even deeper to the heart. Don't do anything with them that you don't want being done to your future spouse. If you want your future spouse treated with incredible respect and dignity, you begin right now treating somebody else's spouse with incredible respect and dignity. You love them. You care for them in the way you want your spouse cared for by whoever they may be with right now. Set yourself up for success by no longer asking the question, 
How far can I go before it's sin? How far can I go? When does the, when's the line of sin? Because I want to get as, I really want to get as close as I can. I mean, I, I'm, going to, I'm not going to go over the line, but I'm going to get as close as I can. It's like, stop asking that question. Start asking the question, how can I get away from the line? How can I start setting myself up for success? Because that question just exposes a heart that wants to worship our sexual desires and wear the name tag of Christian. I just want to walk the fence because this side is actually kind of good. You don't own the fence. Your enemy owns that fence. How do we fight? We begin with guarding our thoughts, our eyes. We set ourselves up for success. And we know our triggers. When is it that you desire something the most? Is it when you've had a really stressful day? Is it whenever you listen to a certain kind of music? Is it whenever you've talked with a certain humor, certain suggestiveness with people? What are those triggers? And you start separating yourself from those. Maybe it's being alone. I had a friend who struggled when he was home alone. And he said, you know what? My first step, whenever I felt myself tempted, I just go put pants on. Zip! Belt. So simple. Boom. But you realize that's a real step because it's making a declaration of who his God is by something so simple, by creating just one small barrier. Know your triggers. Be born again. Marinate in the word of God. Practice the presence of the Lord. Fight. And finally, set up accountability. Psalm 32.3 says, When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. There is a weight. There is a constant sandpaper grind against us. When we know we're in sin, when we know we're hiding something, and we're like, oh, quick, flip the phone over. No, quick, hit the X before someone comes around to my computer. We know it grinds us. Confess to someone. Find an accountability partner that's just a couple steps down the same path as you so they can turn around and say, I did it, you can too. Let me help you. Find an accountability partner that's going to bug you every week. He's going to annoy you. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. What kind of healing is this talking about? For a prayer of a righteous person, the prayer of your accountability partner has great power as it is working. It's my illustration for tonight. See my funnel? See how you have this big bell on this side? And a little narrow tube on that side. I don't have technical words. Many people, they've made this decision that they want sexual freedom. And they decide, this represents sexual boundaries, they want to live on this side. I want to have all the sex I can with as many people as I can, as often as I can, and guess what? It's going to be with whoever I want, however, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I want wide open freedom. I want to live like that. That's, let's go. Woohoo! Sexual freedoms. 
But you know what's going to happen? Is as they branch out and experience their freedom, all of a sudden the walls are going to start closing in on them. They're going to get an STD where if they confess about it, no one's going to bed with them anymore. So they have to start hiding something. They have to start taking medications, having things cut off. <clears throat> Genital warts suck. I mean, I don't know. Thank you, Jesus. Maybe they have to start paying child support. Maybe they have a baby and it's in like the absolute wrong season of life. All of a sudden, all this freedom, the walls start closing in. Now, they're in a marriage that their spouse doesn't trust them. They're in a marriage where they're experiencing, this is a thing, it's called sexual anorexia. And that's where your spouse can't turn you on anymore because your mind is so jaded and numbed to pornography or other partners. All of a sudden, your walls close in and you're feeling really claustrophobic about your sexual boundaries. And yet, the designer of our bodies turns it over like this. And he says, will you follow me? Will you give me authority over your body? And you know what? You're going to live for a little while in self-denial. You're going to live in some restrictions that are going to seem like they, you're going to seem like this tube right here just is like forever. But if you'll hang in there, if you'll honor me with your bodies, if you'll make your bodies a living sacrifice for me, a temple for myself, if you will honor me with your bodies, then the day is going to come when you're going to experience everything you've been missing. You know what? It's still going to be confined to a perfect marriage picture of one man, one woman, one marriage covenant. But within my design, you're going to feel a freedom like you never would have had if you were just out having a new partner every Saturday night. You're going to feel an intimacy and an expression, fun, joy, and play, and all the things that you looked forward to over here. If you'll give yourself to me, I'm going to open things up for you where your partner looks at you with these eyes that just wrap themselves around you in love and trust. And you're going to see them as the most attractive person on the planet, no matter what the burger commercial has. Because now you're experiencing the freedom within God's design. Elevate. I'm drawing a line in the sand. Who will you be going forward tonight? This isn't in my notes, but I feel it needs to be said. There are absolutely 100% and feel relieved and excited that God creates born-again virgins. That there is, in God's grace and his mercy and his compassion and love, he renews you to make you a new creation again. And you know what? You can, with your spouse, tell them, you know what? I used to really wrestle with sexual sin. And you know what? I, even before we, I met you, I was already, I cheated on you many times. And I'm sorry, but you know something? Two years, five years, eight years before I met you, I made a covenant between me and God. I made a covenant to save myself for my God, that he was the authority of my Bible, to save myself for you. So that last two years, five years, eight years, I've chosen you every single day. And your spouse will see you with incredible respect. 
they will see you with incredible dignity because you chose them. And your heavenly father sees you the same because he was the one who was working through the power of his blood to renew you again. He may have to re-hardware wire some of our minds, but he's going to take us down this journey of holiness and sanctification. Glorify God with your body. Recap. The trajectory of your earthly and eternal life is contingent on how you answer the question, whom do you serve? If we choose our creator as our God, we are also giving him authority over our bodies and sexuality. God's design and instruction for our sexuality is clearly explained in his word. It is one man plus one woman plus one marriage covenant, and it is that that is honored by God. Sex is a gift from God for intimacy, pleasure, procreation, and it's a means to give him glory. Those in sexual sin can be free through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Strategy. Be born again. Soak up his word. Walk with Jesus. Guard your thoughts. Guard your eyes. Guard your actions and set up accountability. And here's two challenges for you tonight. Take a picture, write them down. I challenge you, tonight, tonight, consider for yourself who you will serve with your body. Don't go to bed until you've made a covenant. I serve my sexual desires, and I'm living like this. And this is just it. I accept it. I deny God. I deny my creator. I want to live for who I want to live for. Or, God, I choose you with every aspect of my life. Yep, my sexuality too. And I'm going to live a living sacrifice for you. Make a decision in a covenant tonight. And number two, this one's fun. Write two lists. The first list, write your physical boundaries. Map out your body. This is what is acceptable. This is what is unacceptable. Here's a buffer area. If they're in the buffer area, they're getting back into acceptable. The end. What are your physical boundaries? What are you allowing before marriage? What are you saving for the person that you love so much you're giving the rest of your life to them? And number two, write a list. Write your context boundaries for a relationship. What contexts will I allow me and my boyfriend and girlfriend to be in. Maybe your context list says, I am not getting into the back seat. Maybe your context is, I'm not going over to their house if their parents aren't home. What are your context boundaries? Write them down so you can see them. Fold it up, stick it in the memory box, stick it in your Bible. What are they? Those are your challenges. Heavenly Father, all for your glory. Lord, I pray that you are using the seed of your word tonight to invest in future marriages that will be fulfilling, but also show a picture of your great love for your people and your people's obedience to our creator. Lord, let their marriages scream who our God is, 
how good you are. Lord, I pray right now that every marriage represented in this room is a lifelong marriage, that divorce is unspoken. It's inconceivable because we made a life covenant under your blood. Heavenly Father, Lord, do a work in each one of us that we are going to be incredibly choosy, that we are going to be incredibly guarded so that your perfect will comes through in our lives and our marriages become beautiful and sacred and full of all kinds of good sex. Lord, I pray that for your people and let it bring fidelity. Let it bring a picture of who you are. Let it bring intimacy emotionally and psychologically as well. Let that be the staple of your people here and throughout the whole world. Let the whole world of unbelievers look at Christians and say, it's amazing. They don't get divorced anymore. It's amazing. They're, they're happy when they're with each other. They are each other's best friends. Their kids are awesome. Lord, let your people stand out in a world of darkness. And when they ask, what do you have? What's different? Our counsel is your word makes it clear who we must serve. Heavenly Father, I love you. Bring your people tonight to a fork in the road, to a line in the sand, And let these be decisions for you that last for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Episodes are recorded every Wednesday at Elevate Student Ministry. All students, 7th through 12th grades, are welcome.